0: Hey there. Welcome to Jam with Jen, empowering your pivot. I'm an ex-corporate girl turned chiropractor who is on a mission to help others make their dream a reality. I'll be sharing real stories from people who have made that leap into living a life of success on their terms. Making the leap isn't always sunshine and rainbows, but it's about showing you that you too have the freedom of life you desire. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to another episode of Jamming with Jen. Today I have Belinda on and Belinda is going to talk about her pivots from coming out of the corporate world to being becoming pregnant and having triplets, and then all the way to this course that she's created where it's overcoming the hoarder childhood. And I'm really excited to jump into this episode as she explains the pivots she's had throughout her life and then really realizing what was holding her back, whether they were just small little things as far as mowing the grass or doing some things around the house and how she's overcome those things. So let's jump in so you can get to know Belinda a little bit more. All right, welcome everybody back to another episode of Jam of Jen. Today I have Belinda Chauncey, hope I said that last name right, with The Hoarder Childhood. So welcome so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Do you want to share a little bit more about your background and what you do?
1: Yes. So I've been kind of all over the map. Um, I started out as an executive assistant uh, when I was like 18 and kind of just thought I would always be that. And Hadn't didn't get my degree until I was 25 and got my degree at the time kind of in pursuit of being like a bigger executive assistant like being able to work with the C-suite. At the time I was working at a company that did software and they realized I could write and so they they had me do some writing projects. And during that experience, I realized I probably should apply my writing skills to my career and I started dabbling with the idea of becoming a copywriter. So uh, fast forward like three years into that job, loved the job, it was great. I loved the guys I worked with. Um, It was the software sales team. So I would help them with like end user enrollment documents and stuff. Not exactly sexy stuff, but fun, Um, fun group of guys. But I got pregnant with triplets, (laughs) spontaneous triplets. And so I had to leave the workforce, not really that I had ever envisioned myself being a stay-at-home mom because it's not, some people excel at it and I don't. <laughs> I still, I'm still working at it eight years later. Um, but after that, I realized that if I wanted to go back to work, making my, my kind of back burner side hustle of copywriting more of a thing in my life would be a good idea. And so that's what I did. I started, you know, taking little side jobs and and really preparing to be able to work when the kids were a little older. Um, I also took a side avenue into selling LuLaRoe leggings, but we won't talk about that. (laughs) It was fun, but it was a whole (laughs) other life. Um, So then when the kids were about two, I said, all right, I can probably go back to some form of work. And so I picked up a job, um, basically being a stringer for a local newspaper and just wrote some articles for them. They had an editor leave, so I became the editor like overnight, which was, Mm. (laughs) it was was interesting. Did that for a while and then kind of parlayed all those experiences into writing for business. Uh, Yeah, and so that's what I did for a long time. I wrote um, copy for, I started writing for the tech industry because I had used that experience from back when I was a software writer uh, to kind of move into this niche so that I would have some niche to offer. And so that's what I was doing for a long time. Uh, The kids are eight now. And up until the pandemic, that's what I was doing. I was a full-time, maybe not full-time. I was like 35 hours a week for writing for the tech industry. So once the pandemic hit, all three of my children came home for remote schooling because we have an elder that lives with us. (laughs) So so my life pivoted again because I unexpectedly became a first grade teacher (laughs) out of my home um kind of struggled through the summer with meeting both of those demands uh between making sure they were on track for school and making sure my clients had their needs met and it was just about that time uh over that summer that i was just like this is i can't go on like this like this is i just can't so i started seeing the ads um for digital course academy was getting up always kind of kept in the back of my mind, like, Oh, that would be cool. Like that takes my copywriting and, and does something fun with it. And so I kind of shelved that in the back of my mind, just like I originally had done with copywriting. And then I realized September came around the kids still weren't going back to real school. And I was just like, I can't go on writing full-time. So I let, I, uh, I had to let go a couple of my clients, unfortunately, but I needed something for myself to feel like I was moving forward. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take DCA, mm-hmm. and so that's what I did. I, I signed up for Digital Course Academy. I made sure I budgeted the money to pay for it, and I said, this will take me away from kind of like the time for dollars gig work, keep the writing that I love, it's what I'm good at, and it's what I like doing, and apply it to something where I'm working for myself. And so that's what I've been doing ever since, is building a community and you know, keeping like, I think I kept one client, Uh, And I think I'm up to two now because that client split off into two clients, but I'm trying to keep that an even keel and not just jump in both feet, you know, with no income. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I've been building a course for the last six months and building a community and, and diving into something new yet again. So,
0: yes. So, and for those who don't know, that's where we kind of met through that (laughs) group. So digital course creator is with Amy Porterfield. Um, And so your course will be well, what you're looking at right now is more of like that horror childhood, trying to unpack that, share that story, um, and kind of show those those things that happen when you grow up in that lifestyle, correct?
1: Yeah. So um, this happened just around the beginning of the pandemic. I'd always been trying to get my act together, like my whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, I always felt kind of like, you know, I mean, like when they joke about the hot mess express, I'm like, yeah, I drive that bus. Like <laughs> I'm the conductor and I'm the one passing out the snacks. Like that's me. Um, so, you know, I started looking at how my childhood experiences were impacting my adult reality. And I, at the beginning of the pandemic when everybody was home all the time, looking around my house and like, oh my God, I can't, I can't function. Like my anxiety's through the roof. I'm always a mess. My kids are running around with individual iPads on Zoom all day. And I'm like, I can't, I can't function like this. I have to get this house together. And so I started trying to figure out ways to work with my Hot Mess Express brain to make life a little bit more manageable and keep up with everything, which at that time was writing and school and you know eight piles of laundry a week um, and dishes and everything else that goes with everybody being back in the house. And so I started looking at it scientifically. So the very first thing that happened to me was I realized I would tell myself that I didn't have time to do something. And I, you know, was standing, making lunch in the microwave one day and I said, you know, all right, I've got three and a half minutes. Maybe I'll just do the dishes. And I knew it was going to take me like 20 minutes to get the dishes done. It took me four and a half minutes. (laughs) And I looked at them like, oh my God, I blow things up way too big in my brain. And (laughs) so I started timing every single task in my house. I'm like, how long does everything actually take? Like I've been lying to myself. How long does everything actually do? And then from there started digging in and realizing this was all tied to executive function. So time blindness, task, you know, prioritization, all of these things. Mm-hmm. Were holding back. And we're also connected to trauma, any kind of trauma in childhood, but definitely like the double whammy when you grew up kind of in a chaotic environment, never learned those routines. And now you have executive dysfunction as an adult. And so in about, three, four months, I had my house, like, whipped together and pretty well in hand, like, my sink is empty right now, please God, my sink is empty right now, but I realized, like, these are things that anybody could use, like, these are skills that anybody could use, and I'm sure there's millions of us out there who feel the same way, Mm -hmm. so I was working through DPA, I was going to teach, like, how to be a part-time copywriter, because that's the other thing I knew uh, everything about, and I posted in the forums, and, like, what's the course, like, you're afraid to make, and I said, I'll go first, you know, and it's overcoming the board of childhood. It just came to me. And I had like 80 people respond to that thread and say, you have to do that. Like people need to know about this. And so yeah. I got that encouragement there and here we are six months later and I'm getting ready to launch in like three weeks. So
0: That's amazing.
1: yeah, it all happened by accident. It's very
0: weird. But I mean, it, it, it happens by accident, but at the same time, it all flowed together and synchronized together. So yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm not a big believer in coincidence. Like I do believe that things happen to us that change us. Yeah. Um, and they might seem like struggles. And then I saw like a billboard on a church one day that said, It'll all make sense someday. And that has become my motto. It'll all make sense someday. And it's really kind of come together in the last year like that. Like I doubt, like a lot of people, I think if the pandemic hadn't come, I would have gone on ignoring you know, the decluttering I had to do and the dishes in the sink because we all have really busy lives. Mm -hmm. But when we were forced to stay home for a year and look at it, look at ourselves and see how we felt about all of it, we had to make changes. And I think a lot of people felt that. But for people who have executive dysfunction struggles, um, you can have those realizations and look around and, and be stressed out by what you see and not have any path forward to, to make change or not know how to make change or not understand why you feel exhausted at the thought of like making the bed. Mm -hmm. It's biologically based. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's neurodiversity. So yeah, all of these coincidences have come together to, you know, converge to make me a better version of myself. And I want to share that with other people. So,
0: yeah, I love it. Do you, um, this is kind of off topic, but did you ever do the Enneagram test?
1: I did. And I'm a nine. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I read through it. And I was like, that
0: makes sense. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's funny. funny. Just based off of like you talking about like the hot mess express bus and all that, I was like, oh, I would have pegged you as like a seven. So that's what I am. That's like, the oh, okay. like kind of struggled with FOMO, all of that. But anyways. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, it's interesting because a lot of what they talk about with the Enneagram as far as like shame and perfectionism and, Mm -hmm. you know, crippling, like self-doubt is there. I don't show it. I'm really good at not showing it, but it is there. Um, And it's funny because I said to my husband, we were talking about my course the other day and I said, I really just need to prove that I can make this work. And I said, you know, I need to, I need to make this fly. And he goes, you need the validation of it having flown. And I was like, oh God, like stop seeing me so clearly, you know, (laughs) quit calling me out. But he's right. He's right. I need the validation because I need to prove to myself that I have value to others. Mm -hmm. I need to prove to myself that I'm not, you know, broken, which is a really common phrase in our society right now. I'm just broken. You're not broken. You're just different. You just need, you just need the way. So I explained it to someone and I'm, I'm also pursuing um, an evaluation because I think I might have an undiagnosed um, adult ADHD. And so I've been following a lot of those forums. I got diagnosed by TikTok basically, which I think a lot of people are having that same experience. But somebody said, you know, there's this argument over whether ADHD is a superpower or a crippling disability. And I said, listen, if you have a McLaren in your garage and you don't know what you're doing with it, it can be a life ending experience. If you're not, if you know what you're doing with it, it's a joy ride and I'm learning to drive. And that's exactly how I put it. I was like, I am going to figure out how this brain works and I'm going to teach other people's how, other people how it works as well.
0: Yeah. So, that's a perfect analogy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I've I've just been, you know, when I get a hint, I just go with it because it's going to go somewhere good. So.
0: Yeah. So tell me more about like the, uh, I guess like the background that you had with like the hoarder part of it all, or I guess like, how are you trying to, or how are, how is your mission kind of coming out to help unitize or bring this all together with everybody?
1: So one of the, again, going back to the Enneagrams, and I bet if you did some sort of, um, you know, cross-reference of like people who suffered trauma versus like people who had a certain Enneagram type, I bet there would be some ties in there. Um, but one of the first things that we need to get through, uh, when we grew up in any dysfunctional environment, not just hoarding, um, is that a, we aren't responsible for what happened to us. Uh, we do bear the brunt of what happened to us, but it is not our responsibility to repair those people that, you know, should have been there for us and weren't. Um, they weren't, you know, they were broken. We showed up and we're not going to be able to fix them. So a lot of what I'm teaching in my kind of like weekly Facebook lives and in my posts and in my emails is that um, the biggest thing is how you talk to yourself, how you uh, view your challenges. If you have negative self-talk, you aren't going to make the progress that you can, that you're capable of. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we have extreme struggles with negative self-talk. I saw a post one day that said, the words that you speak to your children will become their inner voice. And it is absolutely true. So yeah. paradoxical, oh. has a component of perfectionism to it. It's as far as like hoarding itself as a disorder, they tie it in with anxiety, but they also tie it in with OCD. And both of those things have a, an element of lacking priority, not being able to prioritize visually or mentally. And so what comes out of hoarding, which is like the ultimate dysfunction of an environment is perfection, which is completely paradoxical. Like it doesn't make sense. But when you look at it, of course it makes sense because in the absence of being able to do the perfect thing, you do nothing. And so breaking down those, those barriers for people and breaking down the negative narratives that we've told ourselves that I'm a lazy slob or that I'm not smart enough or good enough or whatever, all that crippling negative self-talk. Once you get through that, you can look around and be like, this room's fixable. I can do this. And that's where it starts is really fixing yourself before you can fix the things around you. You have to fill your own cup as they say. So that's, that's a lot of what I teach is just positive Mm self-talk.
0: Good. I had recently, I think it was on a podcast. I was listening to, they were talking about, um, you know, their dad, like never, he was an alcoholic and their dad, like never completed a task. Mm-hmm. So it was like this thing that they grew up with where they, if they didn't complete something, it wasn't a big deal because that's what they were taught. Was, right. If it doesn't get completed, it's not a big deal. Just move on to the next thing. Right. And so now like, that's what they push to is like figuring out the goals, meeting those goals. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, that's going to be an entire module in my course, sitting down, planning, and completing a task. Because oftentimes, initiation is one of the major executive functions. So getting started is kind of like a deal breaker for people, but also getting wrapped up. Because we, you know, one of the other executive functions is like emotional regulation. Yeah. So if something gets too difficult, or if something gets boring, or if, we are distracted by the next new idea, we are long gone. And that's a, there's a lot of overlap in the ADHD world with that. So it's, it's a failure to emotionally regulate and be able to stay on task. And so having a plan that's written down and you can see it through the conclusion is the big deal. And so, you know, when I post about a project I'm doing, I put up coat racks, you know, probably about a month ago and I posted every step that I was going to do like up to me and including filling in the little holes and painting over the, you know, the spots where the screws were covered something, because that is something I will 100% just leave behind. So, cause it's a finishing, it's a finishing thing. Yeah. And so I'm really deliberate with myself about getting something over the finish line for real. So.
0: So through this whole process of starting DCA, starting this course, did, where did you find like the support to kind of push through this course?
1: Um, obviously like the group itself is really supportive. Mm -hmm. Um, I found so many, even just, even just the idea to start the course, 80 people jumped up to say like, yeah, you have to do that. Or we've experienced that in my family. None of my siblings talk about it because secrecy is a big part of it. Secrecy and shame are, are like, they go hand in hand. So having a space where you can share thoughts Without a fear fear of failure, you know, because once you say something out in the real world to real people, um, you have to do it or else. Like that's kind of where we are as a society with social media. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a really high bar to do everything we say we will do. There's no bouncing ideas off of people. It's either do or do not. Like you're either going to like run a marathon or stay on the couch. There's no in between. Um, I feel like there's a lot of social media pressure. Uh, in those groups and in those supportive systems, you can just like, you can just have an idea and bounce it off of people. And if people don't think it's a great idea, they'll tell you, I don't know about that one. Or, you know, I've seen this happen when you do that. Or um, that's a great idea. Here's a tweak that I think is great. So support systems like that where you can just be yourself and everybody can be themselves and there's a very low bar of judgment are great. Um, so that's been helpful for me. My husband's my biggest champion. Like he, I mean, we met when I was 18, when we, when we were 18, he's three months older than I am. So I always remind him like that. I married an older man. He loves that, but he's been with me since I was an 18 year old hot mess. And now I'm like 38 and getting my act together, which has been really gratifying because he's like a type A personality. He's completely the opposite of me. He's an engineer. He's very organized. Um, he's a Capricorn. So, you know, he's just like the goat going up the mountain. It's, he, we could not be more different. And so he is always, you know, I say that he's my ground wire and I'm his live wire because we do just support each other. Even when we're like, Oh, I don't know. So I don't think without him, I would be
0: taking these chances. So that's amazing. Uh,
1: yeah. You got to have a cheerleader.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, have you had any critics at all through this process? Uh, yes. And surprisingly,
1: they come from within the industry. Like, we've seen this drive before, and it probably won't work. And I'm like, well, I'm going to do it anyway, because I think it can work. You know, I'm, I'm my own. It's, you know, I think in, in the engineering world, they call it dog fooding. You got to eat your own dog food. Um, I have done all of these things for myself, and I've set up these very intentional frameworks and although i say i work on mindset a lot um it's not it's not like mantras it's not like believe in yourself and fill your own cup those are all great and they're important we need to see those every day you need to see those affirmations but mine is also like sit down and write you know all of the things that could be standing in your way of this project that you want to do and i like built like a, a framework and when you decide what it is, you can figure out how to get around it. So, you know, my mindset tools are a lot more like, almost like journaling, but more mechanical than that. So for instance, I put up a blog post. I hate mowing my front lawn. My front lawn is like the rolling hills of Ireland, and I have a ride-on mower, and I have this one spot, and I call it the hill, and I'm like this. I'm sideways, and Every time I'm like, this is it. This is the time I'm going over. And I realized it wasn't the heat. It wasn't, you know, getting everything together. I couldn't figure out what was bothering me about getting this task done. I'm like, you literally just sit there. I can listen to a podcast and drive my ride on mower, Like this suburban lady that I am, it was the hell. It was that one spot that was bugging me. And so once I knew what it was, I could say, all right, I'll be careful on the hill. And then I could get the task done. But I had to identify what the actual problem was, like what, what my little molehill was. Yeah. But yeah, I try to break it down really mechanically. Like, let's get honest about what's standing in your way of this. Do you think you can't do it? Are you exhausted? Are you hungry? You know, do you have what you need to do it? Do you know how to do it? Like very brass death.
0: That's perfect because... That's exactly like what I try to explain, I guess, to people. And I'm like, you can make any pivot that you want to make, but you have to believe you can, you have to get your mindset right. And you have to start figuring out what your roadmap is to that. So similar to that.
1: Yeah. yeah. You have to plan and you have to be really honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think when you dig down into that, you can be honest with yourself, whether you want to do this or think you should do it. Because a lot of times, we are unknowingly coming under the influence of outside, like, I should do this because others believe I should. Or it would be the prudent choice. The prudent choice is not always the best choice. It's not. I mean, if I were making the prudent choice, I would still be you know, an executive assistant because I know what the salary is, and I know what the hours are, and I know what I'm doing. It wasn't the best choice for me. I was drowning. I was. I was you know, intellectually drowning in that job that I was thrilled that I could write during that job because it really scratched an itch that I had. And I knew that I wouldn't be happy going back. Like I almost got forced out of it. I think I was really comfortable and probably would have just kept posting along, mm-hmm. but life kind of kicked me in the pants and was like, by the way, you said you were bored here, have triplets, um, have triplets and also an attention disorder. You're welcome. But it did force me to look at whether I could go back and fight with somebody about their, you know, non-refundable airline ticket after I had been home with kids for years. And I was like, can't do it. Can't do it. I have to make this change. I have to. So, and I could very happily continue copywriting. Mm-hmm. I just have a lot to offer. I could probably do both, which would probably require, you know, me to sleep more than I do now. But, um... Yeah. I just knew I I was made for something else and I knew that I wouldn't be happy without it. That's really what it comes down to. You have to be happy with what you're doing. You can make half a million dollars a year being a stockbroker and if you hate looking at stocks, why are you doing it?
0: (laughs) Yeah. You have to, you have to literally be happy with what you're doing every day. (laughs) I mean, I I say every day. Okay. We all have bad days, but the majority of the time, like you should be excited for what you're doing and not dread every day. So.
1: Yeah. There's going to be a part of the thing that you do that you live for. Mm -hmm. It's not all rainbows and puppy dogs. Like strangely, my least favorite part of copywriting is invoicing. Literally the part where you get paid. I will have clients email me and be like, Hey, you're going to send me an invoice. I'm like, Oh yeah. Like, I love the writing, I love seeing my name on like a really well written piece. I love getting a response from a client that's just like, oh my God, this was perfect, thank you so much. Invoicing is like, it's the final details and I'm like, nah. <laughs> so I have to like have to, like look at my credit card statement and be like, send the invoice, <laughs> send it out now, we need to. So, but I need like external motivation. I have to externalize all of those things that annoy me and that I don't like about what I do. And if there's a part that you don't like Get rid of that part. Mm-hmm. Like, you can find somebody to do anything because there is someone who loves that part of it. I Was talking with somebody today who said, "I love marketing, but I hate, you know, tracking." And I'm like, "Analysts love spreadsheets. Marketers tolerate spreadsheets because they show them their success. Who mm-hmm. likes spreadsheets? I'm someone who loves them. I have a best friend who's an analyst. She boggles my mind, but she loves it. She." man, she de- dug into studies when, when the pandemic first started happening, she's like, I read 50 studies about vitamin D. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> I'm like, I read an article on Yahoo about vitamin D. And then I called you. Cause <laughs> I knew like, you'd you
0: know,
1: but yeah, yeah well, and- for everybody, do the parts you love, stay in your zone of genius. Yes.
0: As soon as you can farm out the rest. hmm yeah. Find the, yeah, exactly. Find the people who, like your friend, who read all 50 studies, find the right people and mm-hmm. go to them. Because if they already love it, why waste your time?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And if you're able to be successful in the thing that you love doing, mm-hmm. and you're able to enable somebody's success in the thing that they love doing, like social media, the second I have a so- I have revenue enough for a social media person, you bet it's going out the window because I don't do social media. I can do it, I don't love it. So if I can take some of my success and parlay it into success from someone else and also take it off my own plate, there's so many benefits there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're not
0: burdening that person because they love it. Right. What do you think has been the most challenging as you pivot into this direction? Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, So I'm used to things coming easily. Mm -hmm. So I'm learning an entire skill set where things do not come easily. Um, uh, You know, attention on social media doesn't come easily. Um, Getting people excited about your concept and being able to really clearly um, communicate your concept. I'm good at that, but I'm now talking about myself, which as this little old introvert, talking about myself is not my favorite part. And so I've had to do a lot to step outside my comfort zone to get the ball rolling and like doing the Facebook live every week. I'm like, "Mm -mm, no, I took a job with a keyboard because I didn't have to speak in front of people. (laughs) Like (laughs) there's a reason I'm a copywriter because you see my name and my words and that's it. And so I've had to move outside my comfort zone a lot and learn a whole entirely new skill set that is Deadly necessary to my success, but also, oh. But you just got to breathe through it until it feels normal. And eventually it does.
0: What do you think has been the most rewarding?
1: Having social media. No. um, Having comments of people being like, I just cleaned my art room. It took me 18 minutes, and I have not felt this good in weeks. Like, just giving someone that little spark mm-hmm. of being like, Oh, I can do this. I can do this. Or I never realized that's what my problem was or just having the space to be like, my parents used to tell me I was lazy all the time. And it turns out I was neurodiverse and it turns out that, you know, I am capable of a lot more than I thought I was capable of. Like, that's huge. That's huge for me. It gives me the chills. Yeah. So,
0: that's amazing.
1: Yeah, just the connection, and it was the thing I was most afraid of. I was so afraid of trying to connect with people, and then you just tell your story, and they tell theirs, and that's that's it. hmm
0: And that's what we are like. We are made to connect with people. hmm So this yeah. this quarantine has been a little hard not connecting.
1: Yeah. Because, yeah. 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 It's crazy, and we're doing what we can, but. Mm -hmm. Zoom can only take you so far. Like my, the whole, the whole stress in my house today was like, my kids are totally zoomed out. They can go back to school next month because my mom's getting her vaccine and they cannot wait because they want to see real people. My, my son is a little nine year old man. He goes, I want to see real people that I am not related to. And I want to talk to them buddy. The entire world feels the same way. (laughs) But yeah, we were made to hug and laugh and talk and, and Mm -hmm. hold each other and, you know, split a lunch and like all of these social things. We're social creatures and, and the screen just doesn't, it's a band aid, Mm -hmm. you know, better than not having it. I can't imagine what they did in 1918 where we all just had to like hide in our homes and there was no television. Right. We were not built to interact this way. Yeah,
0: it's hard. Do you have any podcasts or books that you recommend for people?
1: So it depends. (laughs) So as far as just like pivoting in general, um, or maybe pivoting to copywriting. So for those of us out there who are like, oh my God, I want to be a copywriter. My mentor through my copywriting career, her name is Carol Tice. And she writes a blog called Make a Living Writing. She is brass tacks, brilliant, take no crap. Like she was a stringer for the Seattle Times. And then she went on to write for Forbes and she realized that there was this needed resource of people who wanted to make a really good income writing. And at the beginning, I didn't believe I could do it. Like I was like, "Mm, yeah, no, some people make money writing. And she's like, no, no, that someone is you guys. You know, and this is how you do it. A, B, C, D, here are my courses. Here's my blog, go forth and conquer, you know, believe in yourself. And I did, I became a, you know, a well-paid full-time copywriter. So as far as like, if you want to go into the writing business, she's hundred percent all the way. Like I've, I've spent untold amounts of money with Gerald Tice cause she's brilliant. Um, in general, I'm not a super podcast person. Um, as far as like business building, I love uh, Jeff Walker, he wrote um, launch and he does the product launch formula, his, his advice was really spot on. Obviously, Amy uh, Porterfield, like her advice as far as course building has been amazing. Um, and I've kind of looked at other course building, you know, information and I always kind of drifted back to her and that's why I ended up being a DCA alum. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then just whatever it is that you're passionate about, just keep reading about it. You know, mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be, I read 52 books and now I'm an expert. Read the news in your industry, you know, whatever it is that you love and you want to do become so knowledgeable in it that like people roll their eyes when you start talking about it. <laughs> like <laughs> It's okay to annoy your family with how excited you are about stuff because y- it will serve you in so many ways, even just to be able to have conversations like this.
0: Yeah. How would you define success?
1: Success is laying down at the end of the night and saying, I did what I could and I'm good at what I do. Perfect. Yep.
0: If you could tell your younger self one thing, what would that be?
1: This is a PG. <laughs> don't, don't put up with a-holes. <laughs> I took a lot of crap because I was a people pleaser. I took a lot of crap in my career and I look back at some of the things that were said to me and that I was told and it's probably one of the other reasons I couldn't go back to being an admin because I just don't care anymore. (laughs) I just just say what's on my mind now and I don't know that that necessarily gels with that job. (laughs) But yeah, no. If somebody is saying something to you that is eliciting a negative feeling in you, and you know that's coming out of some sort of self-doubt, that person is not serving you. That person's not serving you. And they're probably serving themselves and probably also serving themselves badly because they're in some kind of place, you know? Mm -hmm. So surround yourself with people who, whether that's in a job or your life or your friends or your family, that like believe the best in you and want the best for you. If you're in a job where that's not happening, get out, it's way it's way too short a time we have on Earth to put up with
0: grouchy yeah. people. <laughs> you know, and what I always say is, if people are like, I'm in a really cush or a really good corporate job or whatnot. Those jobs will always be there. You can always yep. go back to them. Oh yeah, and they'll they'll give you the boot anytime. And you know, so yep.
1: you can go get your MBA and work in a soul crushing cubicle. Mm -hmm. Anytime, anytime you decide that looks better, you will never decide that looks better. If you have a creative spirit, if you have a passion for something, you are not going to look back in 10 years and be like, man, I really miss that health insurance. Like you're going to figure it out and it's going to feel so much better. Now I will say I have the benefit of a husband with a big cushy corporate job to help me pursue my dreams. (laughs) So, you know, as much as I say, he is my champion. He is also my financial backbone. So you got to play smart. Um, you know, if you're going to jump out of your job, you've got to have a nest egg, you know? And that was the first advice that Carol Tice gave when I was copywriting. It's like, you got to save some money because you got to be prepared to be out of work for six months because it might take you that long. But once you land that client, it's all worth it. So, but yeah, plan carefully, but like, just do it. Just do it because you won't look back in 15 years and be like, man, I wish I had become an actuary. Right. No one thought that.
0: is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience
1: no um well yeah uh if you grew up in hoarding or you grew up in trauma um you need to know it's not your fault you didn't do it and there are resources out there for you there are communities out there that want to embrace you and support you and you have the capability to transform your life you do not have to be victimized by your childhood so reach out (laughs) Reach out, whether to me or someone in one of the Facebook communities or a friend that understands what you're going through. Don't suffer in silence and don't think you are broken or less than because you are perfectly made.
0: Awesome. Do you, I know you said that social media isn't like your jam completely, but yeah. do you have places where people can follow you?
1: I do. So um, all all of these are the hoarded childhood. Um, so we have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram page where I post pictures of my organizational efforts and also sometimes of my pets. (laughs) Um, I do have a Twitter, but it's pretty much dead. Uh, But yeah, every Sunday night I do a Facebook live and we cover, you know, life hacks and brain science and the, just the realities of growing up kind of in an adverse environment and how we can make our daily lives better. So yeah.
0: Cool. I will make sure to put those in the show notes too.
1: Cool. Thank you. All
0: right. Thank you so much for jumping on. Unless there's anything else you wanted to share?
1: Oh, thank you so much for this opportunity. This is amazing. I love to see the pivot that you're making in your life. This is really cool. Awesome.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Have a good
0: one. Thank you so much, Belinda, for jumping on and sharing your story. And for the listeners, thank you for listening through. I really appreciate it. If you are interested in getting to know more um, about Belinda's course, definitely head over to her social media pages and check her out on Sunday evenings when she goes live. So thank you again and take care. Thank you so much for listening through another episode of Jamming with Jen. If you like that episode, definitely share it out with a friend. And if you're looking to connect with me more, follow me on Instagram. The handle is Jamming with Jen Podcast. Or you can always head over to the website at jenforstner.com. Thank you so much again and have a great day.